0: Thank you, sir. Look at that. I'm not used to getting treated that way around here. But <laughs> um, appreciate the time off I've had the last few weeks. You know, I've been competing with the U.S. Olympic curling team. Um, I was an all-state curler in seminary. Some of you didn't know that. Um, So uh, I've got the last two innings on this Philippians series, and uh, I think the reason for that is so I can sort of correct and clarify the content that Darren and Greg has been unleashing upon you these last few weeks. So hang on, I'm going to save this series yet today and then again next Sunday. Everything's going to be okay. Um, My text that I was assigned uh, today had this glaring banner, neon sign ad that ever everywhere I went in this text, th- this this command just kept pushing itself on me. I, I couldn't get away from it. And, and it, it's, it's the, the opening phrase of the text. It says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And I, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking, how can we approach this topic without it sounding cliche or churchy uh, or unrealistic? How, how can we take this rather ambitious statement and bring it down to earth and put it into our life? I struggle with that. I struggle with that all week. Because it seems to me that that phrase in 21st century America sounds out of touch, sounds to me to be just a little antiquated, just a little naive. Who's going to be able to rejoice Always? Try walking into work tomorrow morning and when someone asks you how you are, say, well, I'm rejoicing in the Lord always. Why should you have to ask? <laughs> and see how that goes over. This phrase seems out of place to me because it seems to me that we live in joyless times. Zombies and vampires, they're the metaphors for this age. Joyless creatures doomed to a cursed existence, and they're everywhere. Why do you think we keep the light so dark in here on Sundays? (laughs) TV's hot new show, True Detective it has got a main character prone to soliloquies portraying existential horror and nihilism in which he concludes that human consciousness is an evolutionary aberration. And then there's the reality of everyday life. Does that drag any of you down? Just the everyday, in and out, over and over, slobbed, desponded. Where's the joy in figuring out where to find health care? Where's the joy in balancing the household budget? Where's the joy in finding a better job or a bad job for that matter? Well, at least we, at least we can look to our politicians. There's a joyful lot. There's no joy in Congress. There's no joy in Springfield. There's not even much joy in churches today. Too many argumentative, judgmental, angry places of worship. And speaking of joyless, the Cubs are going to be playing baseball in a couple months. (laughs) God help us one and all. And this phrase seems all the more unrealistic when it says, telling us to rejoice is tough enough. But you know what follows that word? Always. Always. I hate it that that word's in there. Rejoice always? It's almost as if the Apostle Paul knew someone was going to read this and say, okay, I can rejoice except when, and before they can get that out of their mouths, he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice you didn't hear it the first time, I'm going to say it to you again. It's sort of like me speaking on tiny warnings. <laughs> Repeat over and over and over again. Yeah. And so, before we get too far in this passage, let's clarify just what rejoicing means and what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean putting on a fake smile and spouting proverbs to everyone you meet. It doesn't mean denying real problems that have to be confronted, confronting the brutal facts. It doesn't mean pushing down ...difficult emotions or nagging doubts. You can rarely go wrong consulting C.S. Lewis, and so I have. He says, joy must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and from pleasure. It has one characteristic and only one in common with them... ...the fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. But there's another question before we can work our way through this passage... ...and that is, how is this command remotely attainable? A. Rejoice. B. Always. And the answer, we have to come to the conclusion is, on our own, it is not remotely attainable. On our own. Because we're not talking about a natural joy. We're talking about a supernatural joy. It's a joy at another level. That's why it says in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and what comes next? Joy. This kind of joy is a gift. It's a spiritual joy. It's a supernatural joy. And so for today, let's define it this way. Christian joy is the emotion springing from the deep down confidence that God is in perfect control. Christian joy, it's an emotion. It springs from the deep down confidence that God is in perfect control of everything and will bring it to our good eventually. And so, as I looked at this text, here's the banner headline. Rejoice in the Lord, always. It seemed to me that everything that followed was telling us what we needed to know in order to carry out that command. Because even though joy is a gift, we can deny the gift, or we can allow the things in this world to rob us of that gift and take it away from us. So, I think this text tells us what we need to know to rejoice always and to avoid joy robbers. So if you don't want to be joyful here today, spoiler alert, come back when the music starts playing. (laughs) Joyful people know when to cut someone some slack. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Joyful people are gentle people. Gentle is another one of those words we don't oftentimes use of ourselves. It's variously translated patient mind, modesty, forbearance. But it originally referred to a man who knew when not to apply the strict letter of the law. One who can discern when to relax justice and introduce mercy. Now that sounds current to me. Now I'm not talking about compromising God's standards here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your rules of justice. You have them, you know. They're your rules of justice. Someone shows up late for work. You get a bad server at dinner. Someone forgets a phone appointment. Oh, I don't know. This is just theoretical. Someone who forgets again after being told multiple times to make the coffee before they go to bed. Someone who's been told multiple times to turn the lights off before they leave the house. To not mess with the temperature controls in the car. Someone who forgets My ginger carrot probiotic, (laughs) honey. (laughs) You've got your own rules of justice and so do I. And you think they should never be violated. And when that justice according to you is violated, you have a choice. You can double down, you can stick to the letter of the law, or you can, when appropriate, extend mercy. You think you're doing the other person a favor, but you're really doing yourself a favor. Being unyielding, unforgiving, unbending, robs you of joy always. To keep your joy, know when to bend, Know when to flex. Know when to be gentle. Joyful people know God's location. The Lord is near. Joyful people know God is close to them even when it feels like he isn't. One of the names for Jesus in the Bible is Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible repeatedly talks about God's presence in our life. Because God is near, He understands what we're going through. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him. How did He endure the cross? Because of the joy set before Him, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand uh, of the throne of God. And so consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that, why, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart because weariness and being disheartened rob us of our joy. God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. When we allow ourselves to think that God is an absentee landlord, a distant cosmic force, a beam of light, and a galaxy far, far away, it's easy to start thinking, I'm going this thing alone. Nobody cares. Nobody understands. I've got to fend for myself. That's a joy less existence. To keep your joy. Tell yourself, God is near. Joyful people know how to break out of a stranglehold. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Joyful people are grateful and prayerful people. Now, if anyone had an excuse to be anxious, it was the person who wrote this letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul. He was on death row. His friends were arguing with each other. His helper, sent from Philippi, fall, has fallen ill. But what I like about the use of this word anxious or anxiety, it means to be pulled in different directions. The Old English word meant to strangle. To feel like you're being choked. You know, like Jay Cutler playing the Packers. Yeah, you know it's true. You know it's true. Just keeping it real. If you've ever worried, you know how it puts a stranglehold on us. Headaches, backaches, neck pain, digestion. I don't have to tell you that contemporary culture is full of things to worry about. And so, reading this passage and coming upon this part about anxiety, I did what probably most of you did. I went to the dusty bookshelf in my office to reread portions of the classic book entitled The Meaning of Anxiety by Rollo May. I was interested in his review of what great philosophers and theologians like. Kierkegaard, and Tillich, and Reinhold Niebuhr had to say on the subject. If you don't know those three names, they're on the housewives of Beverly Hills. (laughs) So you can check that out this week. So so work work with me through this. These theologians and philosophers, they talked about the fear of death or non-being as the root of anxiety. It's rooted, they say, not only in the fact that we'll one day no longer exist, but that our existence had no meaning. The anxiety of meaninglessness... Neighbor says anxiety is the internal description of the state of temptation. Now that intrigued me. If God is near, and if joy is a gift I can intentionally cultivate, if I can take my worries to God in prayer with a grateful heart, and if in so doing I give my anxieties to someone who is in perfect control and will work everything out for my good eventually, then it is possible for me to rejoice when? Always. I lose my joy when I give in to the temptation to hold on to the anxieties that God has explicitly told me to give to Him. And so to keep your joy... Tell yourself to remain grateful and prayerful. Joyful people know what you can't understand. And the peace of God which transcends transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Joyful people, they give peace a chance. In place of anxiety comes Peace. Now, it's interesting that this text does not tell us in order to be joyful that you have to understand everything. I know some really smart people who are also some really anxious people. This peace, it's a gift also, but it's not obtained by intellect. It's obtained by trust. Now, this can be tricky because we're not advocating anti-intellectualism here. We learn, we grow. That's what a disciple does. But we never fully comprehend. All the mysteries of this life will not be solved in this life. The word guard is a military term to show the security that we can have. Demanding to have complete understanding, that robs you of joy. Joyful people are peaceful people. Joyful people also know what to think about. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Joyful people, they know what to think about. Now, truth is incarnate. That is to to say, it is embodied. It has flesh and blood on it. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He says that I am truth, which is dramatically different from saying, I say truthful things. That's not what he said. He said, I am truth. I'm the embodiment of truth. And so where can we find all these qualities listed here? Not in a book of doctrines. Who is it that's worthy of reverence, moral, upright, righteous, virtuous, pleasing, amiable, attractive, admirable? You think on these things by not... Not by filling your mind with laws and religious traditions. You think on these things by following Jesus who is the only perfect expression of these attributes. 2 Corinthians 10. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Joyful people are purposeful in who they think about. And finally... Joyful people know who to hang out with. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it in practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Joyful people, they have good role models. We follow Jesus, but we must also follow those who are further down the road following Jesus. Who have more experience than we do in following Jesus. Jesus. We need mentors and tutors and counselors. We need personal examples. That's how we learn to be joyful. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul puts his life on the line, says some rather amazing things. He says, you know what? You've seen me. You've hung around me. Whatever you've learned, received, heard, seen in me, do that. Do that. Joy can't be learned from a, from a denominational creed book or a theological treaty. Dare to seek out someone who can be an example for you. Those who make you a better you. Those who inspire you. Those who are themselves, of course, joyful. Isolating yourself, cutting yourself off from meaningful relationships, that robs you of joy. Joyful people, joyful people, they have meaningful relationships with the right people. And so, the screaming headline banner about joy and always gives us a little snapshot of what it is. Joy is merciful, it's prayerful, it's grateful peaceful. It's purposeful. It's relational. And so the more I thought about this command to be joyful, I realized that the first message of good news was all about granting us this gift of joyfulness. I don't know how I could have missed it. I just missed it. We don't often read this passage at this time of year, but maybe we should. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were rejoicing always. No, they were terrified, they were anxious know what it's like to be an anxious shepherd at night when an angel appears to you? You know what that's like? But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Why? Because there's something you don't know. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to give you some news. And it's good news. I bring you good news of Great joy. And it gets even better. It's for all people. We don't oftentimes sing this hymn in February, but maybe we should. Joy to the world. Why? The Lord has come. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Joy to the world. He rules the world with truth and with grace. And so given what we now know, it's possible to have a deep down confidence that God is in complete control. And so I leave you with a message to live out this week. A message that doesn't sound so out of touch after all. Rejoice in the Lord always. I hope I don't have to say it again. Think about that passage in Hebrews 13. How was Jesus able to endure the cross? It says, because of the joy set before him, that he knew he would be seated at the right hand of the father so as we observe communion the death burial and resurrection of christ we're inviting you to join us in this maybe you want to think about that which you're having to endure right now might not be joyful things but this joy that we're to have always can help you endure that because you have a deep down confidence that God's in control of everything and he's going to work it out to your good eventually let's pray Father in heaven we thank you for these promises we thank you for the example of Christ we thank you for the gift of joy and peace may we live within it this week in Jesus name